Well, I appreciate our choirs singing today. They did a great job. They were here early and uh, for our 845 service and, and parents and grandparents, and many of them were here early today, and I appreciate them. You know, I'm thankful for a church that still has youth choirs and middle school choirs and children's choirs. Not many churches do anymore, and I'm thankful that we can still do that and appreciate those that work with them, appreciate our students for leading out the out again at Christmas season as well in a worship service as well. And of course, summers, that's their big time. They go on mission trips and sing and work, usually in homeless shelters or places like that, uh, serving as well. And so we appreciate our choirs today and those that work with them. I was raised in Oklahoma, and I, I knew a man there as I was growing up. I've known him almost my entire life. In his 40s, he decided to give his life to Jesus. And he immediately changed. His language changed, his life changed, his demeanor changed. His, uh, his family saw the difference, his wife saw the difference, his kids, I saw the difference in him. Uh, his employer, he was a different employee, they saw the difference. He went to this small uh, Pentecostal holiness church in our town. And they told him that just Jesus wasn't enough. He also needed the Holy Spirit, which would be evidenced, his salvation would be evidenced by the speaking of tongues. So he tried, man, he tried. Every service, as soon as they gave the invitation, the altar call, he would come to the altar Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. He would come to the altar. They had altar call on Wednesdays. And he would come to the altar and he would kneel down there and the church would gather around him and they would lay hands on him and they would, they would yell and, and they would speak in tongues themselves and, and, and they, they prayed over him and he prayed and he wept and he would sweat and he would get back, go back and take his handkerchief just wiping his forehead and just crying. And he did this every single service for almost a year. But he never spoke in tongues. So he decided God didn't want him. That it worked for others, but it didn't work for him. So he gave up and quit. Stopped going to church and just wrote it all off. We are now into week number five of our sermon series entitled Understanding Spiritual Gifts. And we're looking at spiritual gifts that God gives to us whenever we're saved. The Bible teaches us that spiritual gifts, there are 20 of them, and you have at least one. You may have more than one. Nobody has all of them, but you do not have a spiritual gift until you become a believer in Jesus. So I know we have those this morning who are here that do not know Christ as Savior, never been a time you've prayed, repenting of your sins, and submitting your life to Christ. If that's the case, you'll have an opportunity to do that in just a moment. So really the rest of the message is not for you because you, you need, first of all, to receive Christ, and then you can think about spiritual gifts. But for those of you who have received Christ, you have at least one and, and the Bible talks about how we are to use those, and we've been covering that. 
We talked about ministry gifts uh, in week number two. There are six of those from Ephesians 4. The following Sunday, we talked about motivational gifts. There are seven of those, and that's from Romans chapter 12. Last Sunday, we talked about manifestation gifts. Uh, they're from 1 Corinthians. There are seven of those. But last Sunday morning, we only talked about the first six because I wanted to do an entire message just on the seventh gift, which is the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues because, because there are so many questions about it. And I wanted to, to give a, an entire Sunday service to the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is not really used biblically today in most places. It's misused. It's inaccurately used. Like in the instance of the man in my hometown. It's an example. But I want you to listen to what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together... Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, means one at a time, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in church or keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what was said. If a revelation is made to one another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not the God of confusion, but the God of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now this morning, I want us to talk about gifts because no spiritual gift has been discussed as much probably as the gift of tongues. So misused as the gift of tongues, so misunderstood in the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues has divided believers from one another, families sometimes from one another, the gift of tongues has split churches. I've seen it. The gift of tongues make some feel they are less than. And they're not quite as spiritual as somebody else because they haven't spoken tongues and somebody else has. Tongues can be very divisive. Some people have elevated the gift above what the New Testament teaches and made it proof of salvation or made it a sign of spirit baptism, or made it a sign of spiritual maturity. If you're really mature, you speak in tongues, what some say. Speaking in tongues is called glossolalia. If you maybe go to the bookstore, you'll see a section that says glossolalia. And that comes from the word glossa, meaning tongue, and lelio, meaning to speak. So it's tongue speaking is what the word means. And the gift of tongues is speaking in a known language. Not just gibberish. A known language that you've never learned before. 
in order to share with someone who speaks that language. It's the gift of tongues. The gift is useless unless it's interpreted. So the gift of interpretation then is a person who can understand what the tongue speaker is saying, but they don't know the language. It did not appear to be what was happening in my hometown. So this morning, I want us to take a close look at the gift of tongues. Now, you may say, well, preacher, you're, you're Baptist. Of course you're going to be against tongues. What I believe about tongues has zero to do with me being Baptist. I go by what Scripture says. What does Scripture teach? So that's what I'm looking at, and I want us to look this morning closely at the gift of tongues. First of all, letter A on your outline, tongues in the Bible. Tongues in the Bible. Surprisingly, the Bible does not talk about tongues that much. That's kind of a surprise because we hear so much about it, but the Bible itself really doesn't say that much about it. Three books. Three books out of 27 in the New Testament even mention it. Okay, Pastor, we start with tongues in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, right? Wrong. We go all the way back from Acts 2, all the way to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 11. You know what happened there? Genesis 11, the Bible said that all the whole world had the same language. All had the same words. Everybody stood one, understood one another. Doesn't matter what part of the world you're from, you understand each other. But the men migrated from the east, and they settled on the plain of Shinar, and they decided, we're going to build a tower to heaven so we will make a great name for ourselves. Pride involved in that. And so they started building, and God looked down at their building and was angered at what they did and said, as a result, I am going to curse your speaking you're not going to understand one another. You can't work together to build this building because you don't understand one another. The words don't mean the same. The languages don't mean the same. And so they stopped building. The Bible says they were scattered all over the whole earth, all speaking different languages. And that's where tongues begins. Go a little further into the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 28 Verses 11 and 12, he prophesied, There is coming a day whenever he said, coming a day that, that tongues would be coming as a sign to unbelieving Israel, that God had begun a new work among the Gentiles. God would speak to all nations in all languages and all the barriers of language would be broken down. It will be a reversal of Babel. What happened at Babel will be reversed. And everybody will understand that the gospel message is for them. So the gift of language, as Isaiah said, would be a sign of judgment. Israel, but hope for the rest of the world. Go a little further. Joel, prophet Joel, chapter 2, verses 28, 29. Joel said the exact 
same thing. There is coming a day in the future where God is going to reverse Babel. And all the languages are going to be spoken and everybody's going to hear the gospel in their language. And it's going to be a sign of judgment for Israel, but hope for the rest of the world. It's coming a day. Just wait. So we go to the New Testament. Acts chapter 2. Pentecost. 50 days after Jesus being crucified and resurrected. Everybody's gathered. The whole, all the nations of the Roman Empire are all gathered together. And they hear something. They hear a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And, and fire falls from heaven. And they all begin to speak in tongues, known languages that everybody there can hear as a sign against the Jews and a sign that the entire world can have the gospel message. And what happened at Pentecost was the Tower of Babel reversed. Same language again. They all heard again the gospel message that Jesus is the only way. Three other times in the book of Acts, tongues are mentioned. Chapter 8, the Samaritans, Gentiles, received Jesus and got the Holy Spirit. Chapter 10, Caesarea, Gentiles, got saved, got the Holy Spirit. Chapter 19, at Ephesus, Gentiles, got saved, got the Holy Spirit. All three times showing that Gentiles have the same spirit as Jews at Acts 2. Other than that, the Holy Spirit really had no set pattern as to how he worked in the book of Acts. We go to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Corinth was abusing the gift. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. And that's it. Whole Bible, that's all it says about tongues. No more mention. The Apostle Paul, after 1 Corinthians, went on to write 12 more letters that made it in the New Testament. Zero talk about tongues, none of them. Didn't even talk about it. Must not have applied. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote a book of the Bible, didn't mention tongues. John, follower of Jesus, five books of the Bible didn't mention tongues. Jude, brother of Jesus, wrote a book, didn't mention tongues. In fact, four books or four places in the New Testament mention spiritual gifts, a list of them, a list, four, only one mentions tongues. There's the three So that's what the Bible says about it. If it was the sign of spiritual maturity and something you need, don't you think it would have been talked about more? Go to letter B, tongues throughout Christian history. What happened to tongues when the Bible ended? 
Now, the last miracle that's recorded in the Bible is Acts chapter 28 at Malta. That's about 58 A.D. The last book of the New Testament was written in 90 A.D. So, from 58 A.D. until 90 A.D., no miracles. No more miracles are recorded. And the Bible concludes with Revelation. So what happens to tongues when the Bible ends? Well, after the Bible's complete for the first 500 years, 500 years after the Bible's complete, no tongues. No group speaks in tongues. They're not mentioned. No Christian group emphasizes them. 500 years. The main theologian of the West was Augustine, and the main theologian of the East was Chrysostom, and both of them said tongues have ended. Augustine said it was for the apostolic age only. Once the apostles died and the Bible's complete, we don't need them, is what Augustine said. And Chrysostom said they have ceased. Finally, at the end of the 5th century, there was an old monk by the name of Montanus who spoke in tongues. And that was the first time in 500 years. The only problem with Montanus was his theology was uh, unbiblical. In fact, there were point after point after point. He diverged from biblical teaching so much so that he was condemned as a heretic and a false teacher. And then from 500 to 1700, no tongues. Nobody, no Christian group spoke in tongues. 1,200 years. Then in the 1700s, southern France, two groups emphasize speaking in tongues in this trance where you fall into this state and you don't know what you're doing. You're just overcome by the Spirit. One of them was called the Savinal Prophets. They were mostly a military group, a militant against the, they were rabidly against the Roman Catholic Church. They were militantly Protestant, but they were really more political than they were spiritual. And the second group were called the Jansenists. They followed a, a man by the name of Cornelius Jansen, and they spoke in tongues, and this trance came over them, and they spoke there in southern France. But once again, Jansen had theology that went against Scripture, and he was condemned as a false teacher because he believed, one of the things he believed, that Jesus didn't die, really die. He just, an imposter, took his place. And Jansen also believed that the blood that was shed for Christ at his beating was not atoning for everybody, and he had a lot of beliefs that were off the wall, so they discounted him. Also late 1700s, you come to America. There's a group of Quakers that started speaking in tongues, so much so that their bodies started shaking when they went into a trance, and so they started, didn't call them Quakers, they called them Shakers. So there's a group called the Shakers. And they were led by a woman by the name of Ann Lee. They, she called herself Mother. They called her Mother Ann Lee. 
she claimed to be the female incarnation of Jesus and that she herself spoke in 72 languages and her followers would go into this trance and be meditated to heaven. Then nothing for 200 years. 19th century. A Scottish Presbyterian pastor by the name of Edward Irving began preaching that tongues are for today and the, his members practiced these wild excesses and they prophesied. Prophecy was their big thing and they, they would contradict each other in the prophecies and hardly any of them ever came true. And they were condemned as false teachers because their doctrine didn't line up with Scripture. Then we go to the 20th century and the Pentecostal movement began in the United States, began out of the Wesleyan holiness movement, started in 1900 when a faith healer by the name of Charles Parm began preaching that tongues are a sign of Holy Spirit baptism. This is 20th century. 1905, the Azusa Street Revival began in Los Angeles. And for 10 years, from 1905 to 1915, the preaching of William Seymour was powerful and Pentecostalism developed from this preaching. And the modern belief that we have today of tongues came into being in 1905. But for the first 1,900 years after the Bible closed, it was hardly practiced. Now, what was happening at Corinth? Letter C on your outline. There was something going on at Corinth. Now, you remember last Sunday morning I started the sermon by saying that you live in Corinth. It's 55 A.D. and you decide to get up one Sunday morning and go to church. And you decide to go to church that day at a little small church in Corinth of a new faith in town that was following a Jewish carpenter named Jesus, claimed to have died and rose again. And his followers are, are well, they're really adamant they believe that. And so you decide to visit their church and you walk in in time for church that Sunday morning and you notice something odd. You notice one group over in the back and one group here at the front. And it looks like the groups of congregation separated. One looks a little wealthier than the other. The other looks kind of like poor people. They're divided with rich and poor. And it appears that day they had food before the service started. So they must have been a Baptist church there in Corinth. And so they had food that day. And so the wealthy people got there first. And they ate up all the food from the poor people. And they brought alcohol with them. And they got drunk. So you got drunk rich people and poor hungry people. And they started shouting at each other. It's chaos. Finally got them settled down, began the service, and they started the Lord's Supper. And here's the Lord's Supper up here. And, and the, the poor decide, we're going to get them back, so we're going to edge in and keep them out of the Lord's Supper table, and we're going to have it for ourselves. And they eat all the food and drink all the wine the poor people do at the Lord's Supper. And now the wealthy's angry. You didn't let us have any of the Lord's Supper. They start shouting again. It's chaos. And you're back there with your eyes about that big around. And the service gets going. And in the middle of the service, people start standing up and shouting a language and then shouting gibberish. And there's people over here just gibberish, 
just syllables together and one over here speaking what sounds like a, a known language and it's just chaos. And they finally get their attention to settle down and you realize that the founder of the church, the Apostle Paul, has been trying to write letters back to tell them, whew, you got a mess going on there, guys. But why did Paul only address tongues with that church at Corinth? Something unique was going on there that he had to address. He didn't address tongues with Philippi or the Romans or Ephesus or Thessalonica or any other church. Just Corinth. So what was going on? It was unique to them. Was it, was it just babbling gibberish or was it actually a language? Well, what Paul wrote, it appears it was both. Verse 10 looks like it could be a language. And verse 2 looks like it's just this mystic utterance. Could have been both. Paul never explained what was going on there, but he did say, you guys are misusing the spiritual gift of tongues. And he chided them. Now, one more thing to remember about Corinth. Those believers, the wealthy and the poor, that were members of the church in Corinth, they got saved, they trusted Jesus, but before they got saved, did they go to church? Yeah, they did. They went to what was called mystery religions. The Greeks had them and the Romans had them both. And they were real popular around Corinth. And so you would go to these mystery religions and you would be a part of those. And the members of the church in Corinth gave up their mystery religions, received Jesus as Savior, and constituted into a Christian church. But here's the problem. All of these mystery religions varied. They believed different things. They did different things. But one of the practices all the mystery cults had in common was they all spoke in tongues. So it appears that the new believers in Corinth brought with them into the Christian church their theology and their practices from the mystery cults because they all spoke in tongues they all just gibberish looks like they were practicing their old ways now there were three primary mystery religions that were popular in Corinth at this time one was called the cult of Apollo the cult of Apollo spoke in ecstatic utterances in their services one was called the cult of Dionysius Dionysius' cult spoke in ecstatic utterances in worship. Another one was called the Sibylle cult. And they not only spoke in ecstatic utterances in their worship services, they would have these screeching flutes and bang the gong and, these, and the, all these excesses of music. They would cut themselves and bleed and they would speak in tongues. And a lot of people believe that's what Paul was referring to in 1 Corinthians 13 whenever he said, Though I speak in the tongue of, tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am but a clashing cymbal and a banging gong. He was referring to that Sibylle cult they brought into the church. And the Oracle of Delphi was not just in, 
in Corinth. It was to the whole region. But one of the main teachings of the Delphi Oracle was tongue speaking. So it appears what was going on, they brought those practices into the church at Corinth. Now, why didn't Paul just say, stop it? All of those tongues and utterances and language, just stop. He could have, but he didn't. It appears that as he wrote Corinthians back to them, that the legitimate gift of tongues God was using in this time period was there, and he didn't want to douse the legitimate gift by condemning all of it. So instead, he walked them to, through principles to see the truth. So, I want us to look at Paul's principles that he told Corinth. Look at letter D on your outline. Paul's instructions to the church at Corinth. Now, there are 13 biblical teachings about tongues just from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And so, I want us to look at these 13 biblical teachings. I'll just say them quickly and move on. What did Paul teach about tongues to the Corinthians? First teaching number one, tongues are to build up the church. Verse 5 and verse 12. Folks, they are not for you personally. What's taught in much of our culture, oh, they're for you. They edify you. Paul says tongues edify the church. Number two. It's better to say five words with your mind than 10,000 words where you don't know what you're saying. That's what he told them. Better say five words that you know is going to edify somebody else than 10,000, you don't know what you're saying, from verse 19. Number three, do not be childlike in thinking about tongues. Now, we're told today that if you have tongues, you are mature, you're spiritually more mature than everybody else. Paul says, don't be childlike in the way you think about this. Number four. Tongues are assigned to unbelievers, not believers, according to verse 22. A sign for the lost, not for the saved. Go back to my hometown, the man that's there at the altar. They're telling him, tongues are a sign, you're saved. Sign for you. Paul says, nope, not a sign for you. A sign for the lost. Number five. There should only be two tongue speakers in a service. Yeah, maybe three. But in verse 27. Some churches today, you, the, the whole service, everybody's speaking in tongues. Number six. Tongue speakers are to speak one at a time, according to verse 27. Not all at once. One at a time. Number seven. Someone is to interpret the tongues. You must have, if they're, if they're doing it biblically, not just tongue speakers, tongue interpreters. Otherwise, he said, be quiet. Now look at the next one, number eight. If no one's there to interpret, keep silent. Verse 28. Hold on, I got a question. 
I thought tongues came over you and you couldn't help it. This sounds like something you can control. Paul said, if nobody's there to interpret it, keep it to yourself. You can control it. Paul said you could. Number nine. Weigh what is said. Verse 29. Why? Because whenever you're speaking gibberish, you don't know if the Holy Spirit gave you those words or the devil gave you those words. The devil may be having you curse Jesus whenever you don't know what you're saying. Weigh. Weigh what's said. Number 10. The gift of tongues is a lesser gift, according to verse 31. Proclamation rather than tongues is how you learn and are encouraged. So if he says if you want a gift, you need to, you need to seek proclamation. Because tongues is a lesser gift. My friend in Oklahoma was not told it was a lesser gift. It's the one you need. Number 11, tongues should bring peace, not confusion to a congregation. How many churches... Other chaos, split, division, divisive. Tongues are to bring peace biblically. Number 12, long after proclamation rather than tongues. If you want a gift, don't seek tongues. It's not, it's not one of your best ones you could have. Proclamation's the best one you could have because people can understand what you say and you encourage people. And then 13, all things should be done decently and in order in worship services. There was chaos at Corinth, and he says everything should be done decently and orderly. That's why we have an order of service. Paul's instructions concerning tongues that are often abused today said. And then one last point before I close. Letter E on your outline, the purpose of manifestation gifts. If you remember, I want to take you back to last Sunday, we talked about the purpose of manifestation gifts to validate the gospel message. That's why. That's why God gave manifestation gifts, to validate that what is being said it's true and that the gospel message, and it points to a greater reality. That's why they were given. We saw six of the gifts last week. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, discerning of, of spirits, healing, miracles. All to show that while the Bible was not yet complete, while the Bible was still being written, while the Bible was still being lived out, how do you know what's right and wrong? These manifestation gifts came upon believers and validated that what was said and done is right. And tongues is a manifestation gift was given to validate the gospel message. Folks, we have in our culture today in America, we have God's complete and final revelation. If I want to know what's right or wrong, I go right here. I don't have to ask for a spirit to give me anything. I just go right here. But we're blessed to have this. Not all languages do. Some languages have a book out of 66. Some languages have a chapter, usually John 3. 
Some of them have a few verses. Some of them have nothing in the Bible. How many languages in our world? We saw last Sunday, 51% of the languages in our world do not have any portion of the Bible. None. Not one verse in their language. None. 51%. So, pastor, is it possible? Could God still use the manifestation gifts today in a culture that does not have access to Scripture to validate that what the missionaries are saying is right? Sure. We just don't need them in our culture. We've got the Word. Could He? Pastor, could God still make it possible in cultures with no access to the Bible for a missionary to speak a language he doesn't know, and the people hear it and hear about Jesus. Absolutely. Do we need that here? No. Got the word. Now, that's not God's normal way of doing it. God's normal way of doing it is missionary, you go to language school and you learn the language, and then you go to the field. That's his normal way of doing it. But is it possible, I've heard before, of a missionary, no access to the gospel, speaking a language he didn't know, and the, it was the language of the people, and they heard it, and they trusted Christ. Is that po it's possible? It's not his normal way of doing it. But that would be the gift of tongues, a known language, where people hear the gospel message validated. But be careful of the way tongues are often misused in our culture. Father, I want to thank you today for your word and for teaching us your word. And God, I'm thankful for the truth you give us and that we're able to study scripture and see what you have for us. God, I thank you that <clears throat> we're one of, the, one of the few languages that have your, the entirety of your word in our language. God, of all people on the planet, we ought to know you bet the best. We ought to follow you the closest because we've got your full, complete, and final revelation. So, Father, today, I, I mentioned a moment ago that there are those in our congregation that have never prayed to receive Jesus, and God, this is their moment right now, so I just pray that, that whenever we give the invitation, they'll come forward and receive Jesus. And God, any other decisions that need to be made today, that they'll be made as well. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.